Please won't someone tell me I'm okay. Hi, and welcome to Tell Me I'm Okay, the show for scared people. I'm your host, Andra Whipple, and on this show, we tackle all our biggest and smallest anxieties through learning. Every episode, I ask an expert on something I'm afraid of to come and discuss my fears and tell me whether or not I'll be okay. And today, we're talking about the big nightmare of our time, climate change. And of course, as always, in addition to the expert, I'm bringing on a very fun friend who shares my fear. You know him from TV. You know him from his podcast, Factually. It's my friend, Adam Cotover. Hello. Hi, Andres. It's wonderful to be here to talk Hi. about Hi. It's nice things. to be here with you, too. The man who uh, really kickstarted my climate dread. <laughs> oh, no. I hope I'm not responsible for that. I mean, I don't think you're responsible. I think that oil companies are responsible. Yeah, but did I put did I put climate fear into you? I just have this like very vivid memory of like being in the Adam Ruins Everything writer's room and like coming up to you like scared and being like, Adam, when I'm on set, I drink out of plastic water bottles. Is it my fault? <laughs> is it my is it all my fault personally? And because what did I say to that? You were like, mm, maybe don't, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's everybody's fault and it's no one's fault. That's yeah. kind of the problem. The next season, you did give me a water bottle with your face on it. Not just me personally, the whole the whole crew. Yeah, the whole crew, we wanted to eliminate plastic water balls on set. So we gave everybody a Nalgene and then we had uh, refillable water. We had like you know, coolers on set you could refill your Nalgene from. And that lasted a week before everyone realized <laughs> it did not work because we were working too quickly and people did not have time to go over and refill their Nalgene. It just was not uh, an efficient way for a hundred person crew to be hydrated. And unfortunately we had to go back to water bottles, but we did make yeah. the effort. We, we tried, we tried hard. And, and I mean, I'm stressed about a water world situation or like a living in a fire desert. <laughs> That's upsetting to me. But I also, as like a perpetually anxious person, I'm also afraid of how much it's my fault. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's the, uh, that's yeah. I mean, I'm right with you there. We have all been put into that state. We've all been raised that way. Our entire culture is based on it was your fault. And, you know, so I as much as I have learned about, you know, like big systemic changes are what's necessary and like individuals should not stress out that much. I still cannot help but like try to like fucking kick myself when I don't bring a reusable bag to the grocery store. Ugh. Oh, I'm the worst, you know, like it's really hard. I still get into fights with my girlfriend about the thermostat. I'm a real thermostat dad now. And I'm like, What's 80 the degrees, 80? Uh, 80. We have the AC set to 80. Wow. Um, that's brutal. Yeah. I mean like se people who have it on 75, like, Oh my God, what are you? I can't handle it. You know, what are you doing? It get, you make it freezing inside your house. Just turn a fan on. You know what I mean? But that's but then she's like, I'm hot. I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's too hot to sleep at 80. 80. That's I feel I'm on Lisa's side on that one. <laughs> it is, it, fuck. I am but, an ogre. Like, what are the things that stress you out the most about climate change, I guess? Or like, what are your fears when you think about it? Oh, man. I mean, well, first of all, all the big things I was afraid of are like you know, already happening. <laughs> like on Adam Ruins Everything, we did a thing about like, uh, you know, we said, oh, climate change is going to make uh, uh, wildfires happen more often. And like, <laughs> like two years after we did that episode, we started having consecutively worse, you know, over uh, year over year, we started having the worst fire season in California history, like three or four years in a row. You know, yes. um, we're, we're already in the middle of, of droughts 
and extra hurricanes and things like that. I'm, uh, I mean, the things I'm really afraid of are though, are that, you know, climate change is going to start to destabilize society that we're going to see mass waves of migration, which like are all, you know, the amount of migration we already have are something that like our governments and societies are thrown into conniption fits by, <laughs> right. And can't, and can't handle uh, despite the moral imperative to do so. Uh, you know, we're going to have like entire parts of the country that might not be like truly habitable. Um, including the one know, we live in. Including, well, Cal uh, yes, Southern California is pretty bad, but it's not as bad as like Arizona and places oh. like that where it'll, it could, you know, people are saying it could reach temperatures where you can't even survive outside for a full day, you know, um, like it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it's bad, right? I, I guess I have less fear than than like dread and uh, creeping feeling of help, helplessness, which are all bad things. You know, yes. like climate like like climate doom is a is a bad place to be in because it means that people don't, you know, do as much as they should do to help because they are have feel fatalistic about it. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I hope that we get from talking to this expert today is a sense of. I, I'm not naive enough to believe that she's going to be like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> but I no. hope that she will make me feel uh, a little bit more hopeful about what the future can look like and how we still, you know, I think when I read like the IPCC report and stuff, is it called IPCC? I don't remember. Uh, yes, uh, it is. I, when I read those reports and stuff, I'm like, oh, I should I just like crawl into a hole? Like, am I never going to be, can I never have children? Like everything just gets really, really fucking weird, really fucking fast in my brain. So I'm hoping that at least I need a direction of how to feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's not so dark. That sounds, that sounds about right. I would love that message. I've, I've no matter how many experts I talk to about this issue, I always want to talk to more and get more, and all you want is is something uplifting. But also, then you don't want them to lie to you. Because no. sometimes they're so uplifting. They're like, we can do it. And you're like, I don't know about you. I, <laughs> like, I, Shouldn't you be a little bit more upset? <laughs> <laughs> I want him to cry a little bit. But I also want him to give me a little kiss yeah. on the forehead and tell me, it's all going to be okay, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's wild stuff. Well, yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Okay, me too. I'm very excited. Okay, let's bring on our expert, Miriam Nielsen. She has been the host of PBS Digital Studios' show Hot Mess and worked with people like John Green to help everyone understand the science of climate change. She runs her own YouTube channels in Toro, where she simplifies climate science. She's also currently a researcher working on her PhD at Columbia University studying extreme climate events. She's what you might call an all-around science communicator. Hi, Miriam. Hi. How's it going? It's going apocalyptic at the moment. <laughs> awesome. I'm like hot thinking about this conversation. I'm like physically very sweaty right now, even though it's not that warm outside. I mean, that's kind of the vibe, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Adam and I were just talking about like all of the things about climate change that feel really overwhelming to us as lay people. Um, you know, I kind of just think of myself as like a professional dummy that like I read stuff and then I just feel stress. Like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do with all the information that I process. Um, and one of those things that we were talking about was like the IPCC report that scared the shit out of me. Um, so I was wondering if you had any feelings about that or like how much, how much do people like me and Adam like benefit from paying attention to things like that? And what, what should we take from those things? 
Yeah. The IPCC report is designed to be completely overwhelming. It's all of the climate science that we know up until, I think it's January 31st, uh, 2020 or 2021. So it's it's basically everything we've got in one big document. Like that, from the dawn of time? <laughs> I mean, yeah, from the dawn of time that's still right, or, or you know, that the peer yeah. review still says is chill. Um, so it's, it's literally everything. And so the way that I use it as a researcher is it's basically, this is the big book of things that I go to to find the citation for the research that I need. Um, the summary for policymakers is probably the only thing I'd recommend reading. Not that it's that much more of a less sucky to read yeah, but it's at least less scary. it's not four thousand pages um yeah so that's helpful uh and it's got some nice little plots in it that i think are kind of useful for framing what future scenarios could look like for you know the average bear but it's not fun yeah no it's not fun <laughs> i guess like what about what about that report stands out to you that you think uh, a lay person like myself or adam might need to know or like might be worth us knowing yeah i mean i think at least for me, kind of the biggest takeaway is that uh, for a while, a lot of the research to me looked like getting below a two degrees Celsius wasn't possible uh, because we had a lot of ideas about what feedback looked like and uh, kind of this idea that we've already put so much up there that it's going to keep rolling. Yeah. Um, but uh, what's kind of cool is there's one plot in there that shows you at, you know, the best case scenario if we you know get moving on all of the policies and changes that we need right away uh while it might increase kind of mid-century above 1.5 degrees celsius uh by the end uh it will dip back down again and there's i'm trying to remember what the actually so describe the plot better <laughs> basically what the plot says though like in 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 my brain terms is like maybe not as fucked as we thought like yeah. could is, be less fucked we could be less fucked is this yeah. a plot like plot like a graph or a plot like a story <laughs> a plot like a graph actually i okay. think it's a table which is even less fun oh okay <laughs> i can read a table i know how to read a table yeah uh, yeah well the problem i have with all those graphs is it's always like um there was like if we do all this stuff then we could be below this and it's like that's great and we should know that but also every year that goes by it's like mm, we're not doing that stuff. We didn't do that stuff. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We, didn't, we don't do that stuff. We didn't do that stuff. Like every couple of years, it's like, okay, if we do that stuff, it'll be good. And then five years go by, it's like, all right, well, we didn't do that stuff. But if we really did buckle down right now, we could <laughs> really, it could, it could really be okay. Now we just have to do twice as much work in half the time. But if we do that, then it'll be great. And then you know. I mean, what's currently happening right now in, uh, you know, Congress uh, as we're recording this is like the best case scenario that we've gotten to so far, which is that we have, a you know, about 49 uh, percent of the government working really hard to, uh, you know, <laughs> reduce climate change. And then two percent saying and then it not happening. So that's the that's the part that I have trouble squaring because I want to be an optimist. But mm -hmm. then. I also know what's actually happening. <laughs> is there is there anything like Miriam? Could you tell us like is there are there things that give you hope about this when you're looking at the world from that perspective? Because I think it's very hard. A lot of us, in my on my worst days, I do I look up at the at the broiling sky and think, oh, just like bureaucracy is going to murder me at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like. What gives you hope is kind of a whole discourse in I don't know yeah. how to say climate Twitter, but like uh, <laughs> my advisor, uh, my PhD advisor has a, actually written like several pieces about how often she gets 
asked what gives you hope uh and because it's like it's an annoying question to get well it's kind of like a it's a little bit of a cliche, like, yeah, um, what, what keeps you getting up in the morning? Well, a lot of things like I'm a person, I exist in the world, I got to do stuff. Uh, and you in a, a lot dog. of ways, yeah, I have a dog. I mean, frankly, it's the answer is my dog, but that's yeah, not a very satisfying. <laughs> um, but, you know, we kind of as what I do is getting up every day and making really sad graphs um, and you sort of have to compartmentalize it away. But I guess the kind of like real answer to, you know, what gives me hope? Why do I keep working? Is that uh, where environmental and climate friendly decisions get made is not by the federal government. They're just the levers that pull all of the money. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier. But uh, where I get really excited is when I go to like city council meetings here and there's dozens of activists yelling at increasingly more progressive. Uh, I live in New York City and it's increasingly more yeah. progressive city council people who are currently deciding if all new construction can't have gas in the buildings anymore. And that's going to make, you know, probably a measurable difference in the next year or two for both the air quality where I live, but also the amount of emissions happening. So, I mean, seeing those little things, while they're such a small, small fraction of, you know, millions and millions of tons of CO2 that are pumping up in the atmosphere, uh, the graphs are starting to tip. Not as fast as we'd like, not as fast as we need them to, but it is happening. Yeah, that does. I, I do feel like things have shifted in terms of the way people are talking about it and even starting to see people recognize, you know, that the natural disasters are like, are happening more you can you can see things in a way you couldn't 10 years ago uh that actually brings me to like something that i've i've been i've been racked with personal fear about for a long time uh which is about like my personal behavior and the impact that i personally have adam and i were just talking about how mm -hmm. like he's a thermostat uh i want to say thermostat Ther jerk but that's so mean thermostat dad is what i said he's despite a being childless dad. i'm a i'm a thermostat dad <laughs> Where I can't, no, it's, we'll turn a fan on. Okay. We don't need the AC. <laughs> Put on some uh, shorts. Yeah. So like, and, and I, you know, I'll do things like, uh, you know, try and avoid packaging to my own detriment or like, you know, be like, you know, all You're these carrying little home all choices. your groceries with your bare hands. I, I do so much barehanded carrying. I've actually started buying pants with bigger pockets. Like I have these huge, I, I, need bigger I have pockets. these huge overalls that have three enormous pockets and I'll be in the grocery store shoving my yogurts down the front center pocket. Just like really hoping they don't pop uh, on my tits. Uh, Cause that's a, that's a vision I think everybody needs. So so how much does me shoving yogurt down the front of my clothes <laughs> do for the world? Is what I I'm, gotta, I, I'm gonna say a lot, but that's my <laughs> bet. That's my bet. I'm just putting five bucks on a lot. I guess I want to hear from Miriam. I know it does a lot for the people who are watching and are like, "Who is this feral squirrel in my local Ralphs?" Uh, but in terms of in terms of the climate, not in terms of morale, because obviously it's doing a lot for morale. Yeah, I mean, being joyful is pretty helpful for the climate. I think, especially <laughs> considering you know people's general thoughts and opinions on it. But I mean. I normally fall into the camp of what you do as an individual and how you go about your life is such a small fraction of the ginormous pie of emissions um, that if you think about it that way, like how much is me using my reusable bag, changing anything? How much is me uh, walking instead of flying? I don't know, a really long walk, I guess. Um, <laughs> it, those kind of like minute decisions, if the only thing you're thinking about is how many molecules of CO2 are you putting in the atmosphere, then it doesn't help. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of other ways that like a, a single person can 
do things. I mean, I think like don't necessarily stop shoving yogurt down your you know overall pockets, <laughs> but <laughs> I think you know if people see you doing it, tell them why. Is the kind of the, the, the I gotta get a little sign that says like <laughs> this is for America, this is for the world. Yeah, and and I think kind of like with the you know reducing waste and packaging thing, uh, an example that I go to a lot is that I could you know be one of those people that has. I mean, maybe I could be one of the people who has uh, all of their trash in a mason jar. Yeah. Meanwhile, the dump truck that goes by my apartment every Tuesday morning is still going to wake me up and it's still going to be running on diesel, regardless of how much trash I have. Um, yeah. And so a much better use of my time instead of like researching, you know, which is the least packaging laundry detergent is spending that call time calling the Department of um, Sanitation and saying, hey, can you start contracting electric uh, dump trucks yeah. or... Um, Another cool thing happening in New York City, I'm very focused on where I live right now, uh, is they're finally expanding uh, c- uh, residential compost. And so I literally called the Department of Sanitation this morning to say, yes, bring it to my building, because while I have like a worm form chilling in my shower, <laughs> that's just my waste. If I can get my whole building doing that, that's a lot more beneficial than me kind of kicking myself for every molecule of CO2 I'm emitting. Yeah, that's a really I feel like that's a helpful way to look at it. You guys, I am so excited to tell you that this episode is brought to you by my friends at The Sketch School. Have you always been curious about writing sketch comedy? Have you written sketch comedy but want to learn more? Take a free sample workshop right now at The Sketch School. The Sketch School offers fun, high-quality comedy writing workshops accessible from anywhere in the world on Zoom. With expert instructors who have written for SNL, Key and Peele, The Tonight Show, Bojack Horseman, and more. Register for your free sampler workshop now at thesketchschool.com. And a special offer for Tell Me I'm Okay listeners, 10% off any workshop you purchase using the coupon code OK. That's the letters OK. Yay! Thanks. Let's get back to the episode. I'm very interested in what you said, you saying that there was, there are things that an individual can do because I often feel, I switch between, and this is probably not helpful, I'm working with my therapist on this, but like black and white fatalistic thinking of like either all or nothing, either, uh, you know, there's no point in me doing anything or I have to, you know, ridiculously scrutinize my behavior at all times. So what are the things that you think an individual can do? Yeah, I mean, so everybody lives somewhere, hopefully. Everybody, you know, you go to work, you go to school. <laughs> So you're part of all of these institutions that sort of will listen to you or you can get them to listen to you. So if you go to a school, figuring out if you can get them to reduce the amount of meat they serve in the cafeteria. Or if you're part of a business, you know, how can you reduce the number of work flights that get taken? Obviously, some of these examples don't really work so well when we're in a pandemic. But yeah, uh, it, it t- talking to the people who actually hold the levers that can change a lot of emissions for a lot of people rather than just what you can do in your own little bubble um that's where i find the most effective and also then it's very rewarding because you can actually see it happen which you can't necessarily see happen if you you know uh, spend a lot of time petitioning for uh, a huge federal funding package for more solar you might not actually see that transition over but if you can actually see your school your workplace um changing their practices um it's a lot more rewarding and keeps you going it's kind of like Adam and I used to work in this building that like I, I would see people like ridiculously personally sort out their recycling, but I was an assistant. So I knew I stayed late enough to see that the garbage man just put all the recycling in the same trash yeah. as the regular trash. <laughs> and it, like it, if all of those people have put their energy towards actually making a, a reasonable recycle, maybe recycling is a bad example because we know that recycling is a little bit meh, but yeah. Uh, if if all those people put put a put energy towards making a larger systemic change for the building, 
we might have been better off with what we were doing. Yeah. Like if everyone petitioned to, you know, if you be on the lawn, uh, not the thermostat, increase the temperature of the thermostat like two degrees, that's going to make so much more difference in terms of how many pounds of CO2 every year than. So thermostatty is right. I mean, <laughs> for, an office building, for an office building. Yeah, for an office building. Um, especially because office buildings, in my opinion, are too cold all the time anyway. So cold. I, when I was working in an office, I would like bring in a fur coat on in winter. <laughs> faux fur, faux fur. I'm a vegetarian. Well, I was, I was think we have like such a, such a like weirdly polarized view of like whether, how much individuals can help things that like, it's all or nothing. Like you said, like I was raised on Captain Planet. Andre, did you watch Captain Planet? No, I was a little bit too young for it. Oh, God damn I'm it. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's so embarrassing to tell you that. person here who is old. Um, <laughs> Captain Planet was like a big, you know, it was extremely popular. I loved Captain Planet. Uh, but the but like the two causes of climate change in Captain Planet were one, there were like supervillains. Like there was a literal pig man who was just going like smog, beautiful smog. <laughs> like I love dirty water and stuff like that. And just polluting for no reason. And then the planeteers would have to defeat him. And then they would give tips like how to recycle or like turn the lights off sometimes. And like those were like the two things in the world of Captain Planet where <laughs> were just liter people literally polluting for no reason. And you can do these insignificantly tiny things to help. And like the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? That it's like a giant system that we are all part of like we're all buying stuff from the pig man you know we're all like yes. turning you know we're all running our lights based on the you know the plants that the pig man owns there's no pig man but you know what i mean uh isn't there a pig man isn't his name jeffrey bezos <laughs> fair enough he does yeah when you think he's about the it pig man adam and he does it for no reason he's like a really buff pig yeah, yeah. uh but this is pig <laughs> slander i fucking love pigs and this is like it's so rude to compare them to jeff bezos no I and he looks best. good like he looks like a really good looking pig he does he, not look good. He looks like a weird marble. <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, but like it's some it's somewhere in between, right? That we're like we are causing the problem, but not on such an individual level that like just these little tiny things will make a difference. Like we need to take greater collective action in our own communities. I don't, and that was like left. I was not educated with that in you know the mid '90s. They didn't tell us that that was what we could you know. Like, hey, try to get some more bus lines put in in your neighborhood. <laughs> was, yeah. was like what we should have been doing. Going to city council meetings. I mean, the, talking about the black and white stuff brings me to another question for Miriam, which is like, I think I've been thinking a lot about what the future looks like according to climate change. And like also in my, you know, thinking about personal decision making. I'm in my late 20s. It's the time when somebody starts thinking about, you know, children and, and things like that. And, and like there's so much dread about like what, like the pit of nothingness of the future. And I was wondering like, if you have any thought about like the spectrum of outcomes of the future, knowing that it may be the, maybe both the water world and the, Oh, nothing's going to happen are, are useless uh, parameters. Like, what do you think when you think about the future, how do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time making kind of proje projections into the future, which are very importantly, not predictions. Like, there yeah. is nothing in the science that says the end is nigh. Um, there are scenarios that can be really, really scary. But the important thing that I try to remind myself when I think about what, you know, rising temperatures means now and will continue to mean is all of these disasters 
that are happening and are going to be and already are being magnified by increased temperatures um, and all the global weirding that happens, we have existed with them for a very long time. So we have a lot of really old knowledge and really new knowledge about how to deal with wildfires. We have a lot of knowledge about how to deal with drought and extreme flooding and all of these really horrifying disasters that can be super dangerous, but we already have all the tools to protect people. Um, fewer and few people die and are hurt by, the, hurt by these events every year. So I, I try to remember that we already know how to respond to all of these events. And it's really just a matter of putting the money and the resources to the people that know how to respond to these events. I love you just when you said there is nothing in the science that says the end is nigh. Like I would like that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> because I that's that is meaningful to me because I I sometimes get caught in the projections of like, well, then the projections are definitely right. And I think that there's some value for me personally and I think a lot of us in recognizing that like the powerlessness deciding that we are powerless is not helping us. It's not helping me. Well, and even in the worst case protection uh, projections, like it's a it's a worse world, but it's not an ended world. Like it's a world that you still live in. And we're currently living in someone else's bad projection, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> like and we're and this is that's almost part of the problem is we we've we've normalized it. But, you know, like there's there's always the best the best tip I ever heard from a expert I spoke to was it was he was like there's always there's always a chance there's always something you can do today to create a better tomorrow no matter how bad things are um and like there's just gonna be a tomorrow and I don't know I've tried to avoid the point of view that like there won't be one I think that's the worst the worst uh message that people take away from this stuff is like oh there's no tomorrow well no there there actually is you know like you gotta you know it's like if you think you're gonna die at 35 and you don't plan for retirement you're gonna be fucked when you're 60 you know um, and it's kind of similar where you like, just need, you're going to be alive. <laughs> you're going to be alive. It may be bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably a social scientist that knows more about this than I do, but like in terms of what the climate is going to do, it's not like a cliff. All of the, the narratives around tipping points gets a little bit weird, but it's not yeah. like we're going to hit a point And then, you know, everything that we understand and know to be true about the world doesn't exist anymore. Um, social sciences might be able to talk about like, what happens when governments get destabilized? I have no idea. Um, I, the, the research that I've read on that connection between climate events and that is a little bit shaky anyway. But uh, with that aside, like there, it's, it could only get worse if we don't change anything. But that there's never, it, it's never too late to stop trying because it could always get worse, um, which isn't really the most, it, it, I find that quite optimistic, uh, which is a little bit weird. No, I, I get it. Cause like, I think, I think that that's something that we've also learned from like this past year, the years, this past many millennia, it feels like that we've lived through with everything, you know, pandemic and climate change and all of that. Like it, it can get worse and you can, you're still going to be there in worse. So, so stopping the thinking at just like, it's, it's awful. And so I'm not going to do anything. It's like pretty unhelpful. Yeah you Miriam are the kind of person who spends a lot of time really absorbed in this. And I think that realistically uh, there are most people don't spend as much time as you and, and often, you know, maybe don't even spend any time in a day thinking about climate change. Um, so for those people, for me who like revisits climate change in my mind once a, once a week and feels fear, um, 
what do you hope that we would know from somebody who spends a lot more time on it? Or what do you hope that we take away from, from hearing from you? I think it's important to remember that climate change does not mean the end of the world. Uh, it yeah. doesn't mean the end of humanity. It is big and it is scary. And there are a lot of really bad things that are already happening. I think that's really important to kind of keep in mind when you think about climate change. Thinking about it in the future is one thing, but also recognizing that it's happening now. It's been happening how is it already impacting people you know and love? Taking time to kind of think about what does it look like right now while scary, kind of sitting with that, I think honestly helps remind me that like, okay, we can see what's happening. We know what's going on. Um, how do I find the people who actually have the answers? Because um, there are so many incredible people working in this space doing really phenomenal uh building these really phenomenal organizations that are designed to help people where they're hurting um, and taking that kind of fear and anxiety that thinking about, you know, a water world in 40 years in the future or what does it look like when all of Florida's flooded? When you see those articles, I would instead zoom in and say, you know, where's the local organization in Florida that's helping people, you know, put their homes on stilts or get food to them when they need it or helping people evacuate? It also just makes me think that, like, I don't know. I always think about Waterworld as like, I don't want Waterworld to happen. <laughs> I think about Waterworld a lot. Waterworld really looms a lot larger in your in your mind than in most people's. I think. And I saw Waterworld in the last year and I thought I, it was pretty good. <laughs> Great jet ski stunts. But I don't I don't think about Waterworld day to day. But you really seem to. I think about Waterworld to... a lot, Adam, because, OK, <laughs> I went to a wedding and I happened to be seated next to a person who works for the Department of Water and Power. And I spent the entire <laughs> wedding being like, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Where where do the water come from? How how bad do I be fucked? Uh, where how much water should I be keeping in my apartment? Like I was like, you met I was someone so from the Department of Water and Power. And you were like, have you ever drank your own pee? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's me that's me and he was just like he just kind of was like a normal person so he just laughed and was like yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> that's you work for the los angeles department of water and power and he was like oh we're trying to make it better though and that was helpful he did say that they were trying he said i think he said they were trying to get uh to 50 percent self-sufficiency by a certain year and i was like mm, that doesn't feel like enough mm, yeah that that department is behind <laughs> yeah i think we need to get past 50 dude <laughs> then again i live in a desert where i'm not supposed to exist so maybe that's part of the problem also. that's not true andra i'm sorry can i correct some misinformation wait tell yeah, me uh, you can <laughs> oh you do it i'm sorry no, it's, I, it's okay i know I mean, this too no, People you have been it. living there for a very, very long time um, yeah. with responsible water practices. It's it's a main issue of just pulling out all of the groundwater and not letting it get... I mean, in addition to there not being enough snow melt to come down anymore because uh -huh. one of the impacts is that region is drying. But, you know, there is water there and there have been people there for thousands Wait, of years. I have spent my entire life believing that the only way to have water in Los Angeles... And I realize now that this is very stupid... This is embarrassingly stupid because you're right. Indigenous people exist. But I have always thought that it only can become on trucks and pipes. It can no, only no, come no, down. No, Andra, Andra, I'm going to blow your fucking mind. Okay, blow are you my ready? fucking mind, dude. I'm really sorry. I'm doing a bad job of being a layman because I know too much <laughs> about this. But um, no, uh, Los Angeles was a wetlands before, uh, like, you know, westward migration the time migration period of the television show Europeans. La Brea, it was a wetlands? 
it was a wetlands up until the channelization of the LA River. The LA River used to have a very very you know the LA River exists, right? And it's a I've channel seen you drive it, but your car it's mostly over. A, it's mostly a piece of concrete. Yeah. So the LA River used to like have a very variable path. It would like always just sort of go from place to place across Los Angeles County. And as a result, there was like a lot of marsh and like that kind of, you know what I mean? Like plants uh -huh. and like, like, lo like shallow water, water birds, stuff like that. Um, it was a very, it was a very moist environment, but then when, you know, whatever Europeans, you know, whatever, yeah. like Western migration from Eastern part of the, mm -hmm. you know, uh, United States came, uh, they, people would build houses and they would get flooded because the river would change its course. So they channelized it, um, and like made it, you know, built this concrete thing for it. And now it's a much drier environment because we terraformed the, you know, the city to be that way, but it was originally a very a very wet place. It was can never, it was it? never a desert. There are parts of California that are, you can drive an hour and get to a desert, but like Los Angeles County was not a desert at any point. We, we turned it into one. Can it go back? <laughs> no. Well, no! I mean, it, <laughs> yes, it could go back. I mean, you'd it have to move back, a lot of people. You'd have to move a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yes, it used to like regularly flood and like change where it would be like, Oh, the river somewhere else now. And now your house is gone. You know, that's what would happen. So they, so the army Corps of engineers built, there's a great book about this called the Los Angeles river. So uh, it can go really back, great. but we would have to move where we, where we do the talkies. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of very cool, like urban greening sponge city stuff to think about. I don't know if Los Angeles is doing any of those, but I mean, this is true of all kind of, desert places there's plenty of places that are deserts that people live in that you know getting water even if your place didn't used to be a marsh is still possible and has been done that makes me feel so much better i mean it makes me feel worse <laughs> that we're not doing it but it makes me feel better that it's possible for water to because uh, honestly what i have been spending most of my time thinking about water feels very acute here because it's always so fucking hot and i i really thought that i was gonna die of dehydration probably not i mean probably. hopefully not You'd have to try really hard. I yeah. love water. It's great. I love water also. But also I live on the Northeast where, you know, if anything, we're getting more precipitation. So. Yeah. Maybe you, you could just send some in a little bag to me. Okay. We'll mail it. See how <laughs> Thank the you. USPS Thank you. That would be that. very efficient for the climate, don't you think? That'd be for very sure. Yeah. The solution to climate change is actually mailing water from, you know, New Hampshire to Los Angeles. Ooh, you sure. heard it here first, people. The solution to climate change is making very wet FedEx boxes. <laughs> Okay, awesome. I think that's pretty much uh, all the time we have. But I want to say thank you so much to Miriam Nielsen, because you have been so helpful and interesting. And also, I, I, I get to I get to walk through the rest of my life knowing that water is possible. Um, before we let you go, Miriam, do you want to tell us where people can find you on the internet? I can. Uh, Please. The, the problem is that my, my internet username is not very searchable, uh, sort of by design. But um, oh, yeah, so uh, you don't I'm have to tell us if you don't want people. To find no, you. I don't. I mean, it's just because I like come from an era of the internet where I have a name that's not my name, uh, and oh. you know, as much as I probably should change it because then more people would watch my stuff. I haven't because my my TikTok handle is vagfart69, so I understand. But that's great. Uh, <laughs> mine is Zentoro, which is a weird thing that came out of an Elven name generator in like two thousand and one. How do you spell that? Uh, Z e n t o u r o. Z-E-N-T-O-U-R-O. Yeah, exactly. oh. It's very hard to hear and think. <laughs> There's and a lot type. of vowels there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, if you Google okay. Miriam and climate, it might find me anyway, just because there's not a lot of us. Okay, awesome. Well, so people can, can look up Zentura or Miriam and climate. Maybe all three. See what happens. Maybe all three. If you find me, you get to hang out. If you don't, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miriam. It was so fun to talk to you. I honestly... The relief that I feel about the fact that the water thing isn't set in stone is like pretty enormous. <laughs> well, you didn't even get that from the expert. I told you that one. <laughs> I know, but Adam, we've been friends for a long time and you never once told me that the water, the water is not forever. Well, I learned, well, you know, there, the problem is we got too many people here. You know, that's the issue. It's not that's that there's no water in Los Angeles. We do have too many people for the amount of water that naturally comes here. But yeah, I mean, we can move water around and, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not the worst thing ever. Uh, but I also only learned that a few, uh, like a little while ago. Yeah. I guess I always thought that like, I mean, I guess, I guess that the point is that like, I will probably have to leave Los Angeles before, before it completely <laughs> runs out of water. What did you find hopeful about our conversation or, or how do you feel? How do you feel right now? I feel, I mean, I feel much better. I always feel better when I, you know, hear from someone who is actually working in the area and they are never as upset as the general public you know they're yeah. always like yeah no i mean it's well we can do this we can do that and like we gotta remember this and yeah you know like things might get a little worse but they're you know we're not gonna stop doing anything you know like they're always uh they have they have a certain built-in optimism because the people the fact that the people who are closest to the subject are yeah. uh not so worried about it uh, i mean they're worried but they're not um they're not like you know, lying in bed with the covers over their heads, you know? Yeah. And they're, in fact, they're just begging us to not do that too. They're like, yes. please, for the love of the love of all that's holy, just like, please, please do basic stuff. Yes. But not the basic stuff. I also, I find it relieving that like the, the stuff that it felt like Miriam was encouraging us to do was much more on the, on the like point of view of like community building as opposed to like personally scrutinizing oneself. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Which I really like. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of ways you can get involved in that. Like, uh, for instance, the um, the Sunrise Movement is a really great organization of people who are specifically working on, like, you know, pressuring political leaders, often at the local level, to make changes like that. Um, in a, you know, it's like community, local community activism around climate change, which is, like, really exciting if that's something you want to, like, like be actually working on the issue is the best antidote to to pessimism. Yeah, and you you do stuff that to that. No, right? I just give you them do. money sometimes. I've got other. Uh, I'm I'm busy doing other things. Yeah, <laughs> I well, no, I volunteer you, around you, other issues. I haven't shown up to that one yet. Yeah, <laughs> I still think. I mean, I think that. Uh, I think that it's helpful for me just in general. And what I have to remind myself over and over again, especially when like big climate reports come out is that like the best, the best response is to care more for other people and, yeah. to, and to put my care towards like other people, as opposed to what I think anxiety often invites me to do, which is turn all of my fear inward mm -hmm. and, uh, and just fucking like, scream at myself all day yeah <laughs> and then not do anything meaningful that's a wonderful that's a wonderful message that's absolutely true to care yeah. for, to care for others rather than be upset with yourself and you know be fatalistic absolutely 
Yeah. In other words, uh, not not react to the world in the way that Twitter has taught me to react to the world. <laughs> yeah. Do the opposite of what Twitter says always. That's well, really good advice. <laughs> I wish I could think of a specific thing that Twitter has told me to do that I'm going to do the opposite of now, but I can't. I will not watch Squid Games. <laughs> That's not what it's called. So you're off to a good start. It's not called Squid Games? It's called Squid Game. Oh, well, I'm not going to watch it anyway, but I knew that before Twitter told me to watch it because nothing against the squids, but I have a base level of anxiety that is not uh, is not well fed by <laughs> watching people just brutally attack one another. It's not. Good well, for go me. go and go and join. Let's all go join an organization and and do some help out in our own community to fight yeah. climate change. Uh, I also want to ask you right before we go, Adam. Thank you so much for being here. It was really fun to talk to you. I love to talk to you about the scariest things in the world. Uh, that's one of the things I love about you. Thank. I love that about you too, Andra. Is that you're oh. very open with your fears and scares, <laughs> but then that you was... have a good heart and you always come around to the right the right place in the end i'm extremely malleable <laughs> just tell me how to feel and please make it good and i will go there and if you may if it's bad i'll also go there but uh, but i try not to <laughs> um adam where uh aside from the fact that you have a wonderful podcast yourself yeah uh, called factually with adam conover uh is there anything else that you want people to find you on the internet about Oh, at Adam Conover, wherever you get your social media. But yes, factually, the podcast factually. Please, please come yes. uh, take a listen. It's a lovely podcast. Uh, I talk to a different. I talk to an expert every week about all the incredible shit that they know that that you might not know and that I de definitely don't know. And then we we learn about it together and have a great time. Yay! Learning, learning the number one value that I learned from you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Andra. Thanks for coming, Adam. We did it! I, I, I still can't stop thinking about Waterworld. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Mervyn Decaños, Lucas Whipple, that's my brother, and me, Andra Whipple. Music by my parents, Gail and Tim Whipple. They make jingles and water-loving babies like me! Sing us out, Mom and Dad. <laughs> Please won't someone tell me I'm okay. <laughs> 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 okay, here we go. Take 20. <laughs> Water love it, baby! <laughs> hey, friends. Did you know you can find our show on social media? You can follow us on Twitter at TMIOK Podcast, and you can find show notes for this and all our episodes at TellMeImOK.com. Thanks for your support. If you like the show, please share it with your friends or your enemies, really whoever, because the more listeners we have, the more great guests we can get to keep making episodes. Thank you so much. You're the best.